Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Just a moment, I want to pray and we're going to jump right into our message today. You ready? All right. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy. Jesus, this season, our whole lives are all about you, but this is the season of resurrection. This is the season of miracles. This is the season of, of, of believing and seeing the manifest power of God, the resurrection power of God. Your word says that the same power that conquered the grave is in us the same power. Father, would you ignite that force inside of our lives? And anyone that's here in service or watching online or listening to a podcast that's seeking the truth, Father, would you align their hearts with yours and draw them to you by the power of the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I've really enjoyed this series and teaching through the gospels. We'll, we'll do this again uh, as well. We've got some great stuff, Easter uh, coming up, obviously, and a really cool series. I can't wait. I've been planning the series uh, since last year. Uh, we're doing a series in the spring in May called Feels, and it's all about God's purpose for feelings, emotions, and specifically mental health. It's going to be an amazing series. You're going to want to invite a lot of people to come be a part of that. Uh, anybody had any mental health challenges? during the last three years, I have, crying out loud, I need little feels myself up in here. Uh, so, but I uh, just wanna encourage you to be a part to uh, really connect your life, your heart, your family uh, into the church. God has huge things in store for you. Um, today, as we continue on just a little bit, I wanna talk for a, a couple moments just about the topic of comparisonism. Comparisonism. This idea of being chosen and who God chooses, we all look at other people people and we all measure ourselves. Sometimes we measure ourselves and if we're not careful, we can measure ourselves and we can look down at people. Jesus talked about that. We can also measure ourselves and we can look up at people and not see the greatness that God actually has in our own lives. Um, it's, it's curious to us. I, I, I'm sure each and every one of you have had heroes, people that you thought were very spiritual or very powerful spiritually. Um, I remember being in my mid-20s and, and seeing the pastors on the stage and feeling a call to ministry, feeling like God was asking me to do something. I was a businessman. My wife and I both owned our own businesses, and I had made a purpose in my life to be a Christian businessman. I was very vocal with my faith. All of my clients knew about my faith. Faith. I constantly preached to my clients, would pray for my clients, lay hands on my clients. Jennifer did the same thing. If you sat in her chair uh, at her salon, she had a pair of scissors in her hand and you were going to hear about Jesus. She was going to find out if you were a tither. Uh, she was going to find out if you received the Holy Spirit or not. She was going to coach and motivate you everywhere. That was just who we were. We ministered everywhere we went, but I would look at the people on the stage and I would see them as way up there. And in my heart, I would feel like I could never be like that. I can never be that holy. I can never be that righteous. I can never be that obedient. I don't know about you. I have a problem with rules. I just don't like them. I don't like them. Speed limits, not a fan. Uh, I mean, anything that I'm not supposed to do, you know, I was the kid that it's like, hey, don't do that. 
really, why not? And that's curious now, right? Now I kind of want to do it because you said not to do it. My relationship with God has always been this, I don't want to say an argument, but we discuss things. You know, and it's like, why? You know, and the Bible said, Jesus said, have faith like a child. Five-year-olds ask why about everything. So I'm like, why God? Why this and why that? If it's just a man-made rule, I'm not interested in a man-made rule. I'm not interested in that. I wanna know what God do you think? What do you want? And the relationship I have with God, God, and I believe this very, very strongly, that God speaks to us in the manner that we need to be spoken to. So from time to time, God calls me a bonehead. We're talking, and he's like, listen up, bonehead. Because he knows I need to hear it. He knows how to get my attention. You know, and that's just the relationship. I have a funny relationship with God. Sometimes I call him big guy. You know, he calls me bonehead, I call him big guy. Uh, in all of my prayers, I write my prayers. It's, 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 I document my journey. I journal my journey with him. And it's very, it's very relational, but it's not really very religious. If you saw the way that I interact, if you read my journal, actually, if you read my journal, you probably wouldn't want me to be your pastor because everything that I ever deal with is in my journal. So I'm gonna keep those under lock and key. But, uh, but it's, it's just very open and very honest. And the reality is, is that I can come across really confident at times, but I deal with insecurity like everybody else. I deal with moments of weakness. I deal with temptation. I'm a normal person. Pastors aren't super, superhuman. They just got picked for what are, and I, I'm like, God, you picked bad. You picked wrong. You could have picked Wayne. Wayne's way smarter. He, he, he obeys. I'm like, I mean, pick Rick. No, maybe not Rick. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> right? It's like, there's times where I'm like, why, God? This was a mistake. You picked wrong. But there's something, there's something that he keeps coming back to about me. Is that whenever I mess up, I get up. Whenever I mess up, I ask forgiveness really fast and I get right back into his presence. I'm not perfect, but I have a really good habit of repentance and getting right back into his presence and getting right back in. But it was in moments where I felt so unworthy that God would reveal himself to me. And I remember my very first trip, I had left my uh, industry, I'd walked away from my business, literally walked away from everything, my whole career path for uh, 15 years at that point and walked from it to take an intern job at my church. I, I went from literally feet on the desk, telling everyone what to do, signing autographs, traveling the world, all of that to be an intern cleaning out a dirty refrigerator and selling candy to kids out of a broken candy machine. They called me Candy Boy, y'all. I went from titles and awards to Candy Boy and Rookie. And, and, and it was this funny relationship. I'm like, okay, God, you're humbling me. This is great. And I remember the conversation I had with Pastor Gordon and he's like, Joel, I, I got a question. He goes, how many people work for you? And I, I, went, I went down the list and I said, I, I mean, I don't, know about, I don't know about that, but everyone's so helpful. This person helps me, this person. All these people help me. Your, your assistant helps me. Even your wife helps me, Pastor G. Everyone's so helpful here. He goes, no, 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 let me answer the question for you, Joel. Nobody works for you. They all work for me. Stop asking people to do things. Stop giving orders. Stop. I was, I was so used to being boss that I was coming in and taking over his staff and he had to smack me. I, I got humbled a lot in that season and I needed it, needed it. And, and I remember being on my first trip. It was my first missions trip and I had probably 20 or 25 kids and we went to an orphanage in Nicaragua. 
and we were staying in the orphanage. The orphanage was a beautiful property, it had orchards and banana trees and mango trees. It was gorgeous, and and, and uh, they had all the the families that you know had the kids that you know had host homes, but they had a few buildings that were unoccupied. And so all of the students and I, we stayed in our leaders. We stayed in these orphan orphanage homes. And they were just concrete buildings. No, uh, they had doors, but they had no windows, no screens. I mean, it was extreme in the Nicaragua. And the bugs, the bugs in Nicaragua are very serious. And all night long, you feel them crawling on you and you're losing your mind. But by the end of it, these kids, when we left the, the orphanage and went to go stay in a hotel, they all cried because they didn't want to leave the orphanage and these kids. And they went from being North Dallas, you know, suburban, snotty little kids to wanting to live in this orphanage and never wanting to go home. It was an amazing experience. But I remember in that season, I remember having these emotions and having these feelings, and I would refer to myself in a way, I would say, well, I'm just this, or I'm just that, and these people are this, but I'm just that. And I was in this, this season of being really humbled and humiliated in some ways by God. But also at the same time, I was dealing with a sense of insecurity and I was comparing myself to other people. And I remember just battling with that in my own mind. And then this little lady that ran the orphanage didn't speak a lick of English. Her name was Josefina. And Josefina came up to me and started trying to speak to me in Spanish, but I didn't speak Spanish very well. I speak just enough to get arrested at this point. And, and, and so Josefina asked for Stephen to come over and Stephen translated. And Josefina, who didn't know me from anyone, began to prophesy over me in Spanish and Stephen interpreted in English. And I'm hearing this little lady who has no idea say, don't ever say you're just this or you're just that because the same Holy Spirit that is in all of these heroes that you look up to and you say you could never be like, the same Holy Spirit is in you and the same anointing is in you. Don't ever say that again about yourself that you're just this or you're just that. And she wrecked me. This little lady who couldn't speak English, probably never stepped foot in America, had no idea the impact that she made on my life. Maybe, who knows, I don't know, 30 years from now, the impact of Oaks Church could be millions of people. And Josefina gets to stand before Jesus and get credit for the impact she made on someone's life that shifted me. It shifted me forever because I began to stop that comparisonism that was crippling me. See, the first, first point of this whole thing is that God can and absolutely will use you to glorify his name. He can and he will use you to glorify his name. He just needs you to say yes. He needs you to say yes. We're gonna take a look at a couple clips today. This first clip is the story of Andrew and his brother Peter. Let's check this out. You know, I... Um... I, I can relate to Peter a lot. Um, just, he, he was always uh, headstrong, a um, little bit of a know-it-all, uh, quick, quick to fight. Peter was the one that uh, Jesus said, hey, you know, now things are shifting, changing. If you have an extra coat, sell it and buy a sword. Peter's like, we've got two already. I'm down for this. I'm ready to go. Uh, Peter's the one that when they came to arrest Jesus, he pulls his sword and he goes to, to I guess, kill uh, the guy. I mean, he literally swings a sword. I mean, you don't swing a sword unless you're trying to kill the guy, but he's a fisherman. So he kind of misses and he chops the guy's ear off. You know, I don't know how you swing a sword and only hit an ear. I mean, that's kind of an awkward situation. Jesus reaches down, 
picks up the severed ear, puts it back on the man's head and heals him in front of everyone. You can imagine there's Roman soldiers all around. So if someone pulls a sword and swings it with a bunch of Roman soldiers, these guys were mass murderers. But Jesus' miraculous healing in that moment silenced the entire thing and brought peace to it. He says, not like this. Peter was often the first one to speak up. He was the loudest one of all the disciples. Uh, he asked more questions. Of, of every disciple, of any other disciple, of any other person that ever came to Jesus, Peter asked more questions. He was very inquisitive. Uh, but Peter put his foot in his mouth all the time. No other disciple uh, was told, get thee behind me, Satan. Just Peter, right? Get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, Jesus talked to Peter in some pretty straightforward tones. So it was, it was this moment where Peter has this revelation that you are the son of God, that you are the, the, the Messiah. And Jesus said that mankind is not revealed to you, but my father who is in heaven, no longer will you be called Simon, but I will call you Peter, for upon this rock I will build my church. See, Peter's name, Simon, his Hebrew name, it literally means listen. <laughs> listen. Anytime Simon was off track or anytime Peter was operating in his lower nature, Jesus would switch back and call him Simon. Hey, Simon, listen, listen. But Peter was the only one, remember when Jesus walked on water? And, and, and he's walking and, and Peter gets this, gets welled up with courage. He says, Jesus, if it's, if it's really you, tell me to come to you and walk on the water. And Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat and is actually walking on the water to Jesus. You ever try that when you were a kid? I mean, Jesus, if you did it once, you go step out in the pool, right? Just so you, it, it, But what's wild is it says that he took his eyes off of Jesus, and when he did, he began to sink. How do you begin to sink? When I tried to walk on water, I just sank. There was no beginning to sink. It just, you sink, right? You just go under. Well, Jesus reaches out and grabs his wrist, pulls him back up, walks him on the water to the boat, and once he gets him in the boat, he says, Simon, Simon, oh ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Listen, listen, you of little faith. The dude actually just walked on water, even for a little bit. No other, no other uh, uh, disciple had the guts to step out of the boat. No other disciple had the courage, the willingness to do something radical. But no other disciple got spanked by Jesus more often. <laughs> there was a time where Peter actually got a little uh, big for his britches and he, he began to tell Jesus when Jesus said, listen, by the end of this night, every single one of you is gonna betray me. Every single one of you is gonna, gonna flee from me. You'll all scatter. Peter stood up and said, not me, Jesus. Everyone else might scatter. All these other ones, they may scatter, but not me. I'm willing to go to prison. I'm even willing to die with you. Jesus' responds. he says, Simon, Simon, the enemy has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Do you know what, do you know what sifting like wheat looks like? Sifting like wheat is when they would take the pitchfork, 
they'd have the big pile of cut straw wheat and they would take the pitchfork and dig it down in and throw it up into the wind over and over again. And the the wind and the the power of the thrusting of the pitchfork would separate the the seed, the wheat from the chaff and the the, the seed would fall to the ground and the wind would blow the chaff. That's the imagery that Jesus said Satan wanted to do to Peter. I think this is where in church culture that we get the imagery of Satan with the pitchfork because this is where he said he's gonna sift you like wheat. But Jesus in that moment said, but Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. Watch this. Jesus actually said, Satan's gonna sift you like wheat. You're gonna leave. You're gonna betray me. But when you come back, Strengthen your brothers. Peter still couldn't believe it. And Jesus said to him, Peter, listen, before the rooster crows this coming morning, you will deny that you even know me three times. Just a few hours later, after the soldiers came and arrested Jesus, scriptures say that they blindfolded him and they're beating him in the face saying prophesy who hits you prophesy who hits you Peter's watching all of this he's following behind as they take him to Caiaphas's house Jennifer and I have been to Caiaphas's house we've walked up the stairs where they took Jesus up the stairs we've stood in the courtyard out front where the fire was where Peter is literally uh, out there on the porch and they're interrogating Jesus just across the courtyard And at that fire pit, Peter is being uh, accosted by different people. They're like, hey, you were with Jesus, right? Aren't you one of his disciples? Instantly, Peter, in this place of fear now, begins to revert back to his old self, and he denies Jesus. Another lady says, no, 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 you're a Galilean. I, I hear it in your accent. You must be, I don't know him a second time. The third time, Luke records in chapter 22, that Peter denied, he actually cursed to emphasize that he wasn't with Jesus. And it says, as soon as he denied the third time, he heard the rooster crow and he turned and looked and Jesus was looking him right in the eyes. Can you imagine that moment? Bible says that Peter got up and he ran out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine the moment of denying for the third time, Jesus hearing you curse, I don't know him. And you turn and look and see Jesus. Can I tell you that with with all my heart, I don't believe Jesus was giving him and I told you so look. I don't think Jesus was giving him, I'm so ashamed of you look. I think Jesus was giving him a look of the most unbelievable love and compassion. Because that's the heart of Jesus. See, it it wrecked Peter so much that from that moment on, Peter did not feel worthy of the calling any longer. Peter felt like he'd sinned too great. He'd betrayed Jesus even to his face. He had had done too much. He'd fallen too far. But after Jesus resurrected, he said, tell my disciples, tell Peter that I'll meet him in Galilee. So Peter's back in Galilee. He's frustrated. He's ashamed. He he, He feels like he's completely missed it. He feels like he's now completely and totally disqualified. He says to the other disciples, you know what, guys, I'm going fishing. Peter, in his place of feeling disqualified, reverts all the way back to his primary self. Goes all the way back to being Simon, 
He's out fishing, they're not catching anything. All of a sudden they see someone on the beach, person on the beach hollers and says, throw your net on the other side. When they do it, they catch such a huge catch of fish, 153, the Bible describes, large fish caught in this net. The boat begins to sink, the nets are breaking. Peter realizes and says, it's the Lord. He was in his underclothes. He'd taken off his robe. He's fishing in his underclothes. He grabs his cloak, wraps himself in his robe, and dives in the water and swims to Jesus. Can I ask you, does that make any sense whatsoever? When we swim, we take clothes off. Peter was so ashamed of himself. He felt so embarrassed of his behavior that he did something completely unorthodox and out of sense. He put his robe on to cover himself up because of his shame. He didn't want to stand before Jesus in a place of shame. Jesus meets him on that beach. They fight, they pull the fish ashore. All the other disciples are sitting there. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, Peter, do you really love me more than all of these? Now, theologians believe that has two different meanings. Number one meaning is, do you love me more than these fish? Because when I met you before, you were interested in catching fish. And I think it's cute in the video clip. They're like, hey, maybe we can go on the road, Jesus, catch a whole bunch of fish, you know, do this five or six times, you know, build up the coffers a little bit. Do you love me more than all of these? But, but personally, personally, what I believe is it, well, it goes all the way back to his last conversation. The last conversation that Peter and Jesus had, Peter literally said, if all of these betray you, I never will. I love you more than all of these other ones. I'm the most faithful disciple. I'm, I, Peter had taken a place of pride. So the problem is the Bible says that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Humility is the number one quality we need to be used by God. But most of the time, we don't like how we become humble. We wanna be humble, we don't wanna be humbled. We, we wanna be humble, we don't wanna be humiliated. But oftentimes we have to go through stuff in life that breaks us down, that helps us remember. God said to King Saul, I remember when you were small in your own eyes and I could use you. So important that we recognize the only thing great, even Jesus said, there's no one good but the Father himself. I can't do anything apart from the Father. Jesus never made himself this big thing. He said, the Father is big inside of me. Comparisonism. We can compare ourselves to some people and think we're better than, that they're better than us and we could never achieve that and we could see ourselves as a background person. Well, 90% of all ministry is background people doing one-on-one, -on -one, loving people one at a time. That's the most important part of ministry. Or we could compare ourselves and say, there's no way God could use me. I've messed up way too much. I don't know which camp you may find yourself in. I've, I've been in both at different times. I just wanna give you an opportunity. We're gonna go back into worship in a second here, but I wanna give you an opportunity just to have a moment with Jesus, just right where you sit, just right where you are. Are you dealing with comparisonism in one of these ways? I can never be as good, I'm just a this, or, 
Are you dealing with comparisonism on the other side of, I've messed up so much, there's no way God could possibly. God can use you. He will use you to reveal his glory. He just needs you to be available. He needs you to choose to be the chosen. He needs you to say yes to him. He's given us two great commands. Number one, follow me. And number two, go make disciples. We've got two commands from Jesus, to follow him, to humble ourselves, to learn from him. And number two, to take our position of influence, become an inviter, become an inviter. Use your influence to draw people to Jesus, to draw people to his church. Right where you sit. If you've got comparisonism in your heart in some way or fashion, just repent of it right now between you and the Lord. Just give it to him. Just give it to him. If you felt disqualified because your sin is too great, just give it to him. You felt disqualified because you're not like someone else, just give it to him. And answer the call. Answer the call today. Hundreds of people in your world, there are hundreds of people in your world, in your circles, that need Jesus, that need an invite. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just wherever you are today, just pray this with me. If you want to, if you want to dedicate yourself to Jesus, dedicate yourself to God. Just pray this with me. Say this, say, Father, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I need your help. So I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead and I make you my Lord. I will live for you. I will follow you and I will go and invite and draw people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.